Okay, as you find your seats, uh, I just want to say welcome again to church. So glad that you are all here uh, in this place to worship our God and King. And uh, if you're you're new, uh, welcome to, yeah, kind of a significant week in our history as a church. You know, you probably picked up on it, but we've been here in this building for nine years, never owned it, always been, been guests in this space. And now we get to go and be blessed and be guests in a, in a different space. So praise God for his faithfulness and his provision. And uh, yeah, it's sweet. It's surreal. It's good what God has done and what uh, we trust and believe he will continue to do uh, for us and for our good and for his glory. Um, also, you probably noticed if you're more of a regular, Josh is not here. So we're glad that uh, he's getting to visit his family um, so that means that I get to dive us into First Peter again uh, this evening. So tonight we're going to be back, in, or actually we're breaking into a new chapter, chapter 4 of First Peter, and just looking at the first six verses of that chapter. So let's go ahead and stand now that I know you just got cozy. I am a jerk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I'll back it off. Uh, so let's hear now together God's word, First Peter chapter 4, picking up in verse 1. God's word says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you uh, for your faithfulness and your kindness, your mercy and your grace to us. God, thank you that that one of the ways we know uh, all of those things about you and experience those things from you is, is through your word as we meet you in it. Lord, as you reveal your heart and your will in the scriptures. So God, make this time uh, that we spend reflecting on this passage uh, fruitful, Lord, by the working of your spirit, again, for for our good in Christ and for your glory on this earth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I realized I didn't give any kind of disclaimer. I don't know if I, I should have given a disclaimer before reading this passage, just of some of the, some of the references in there. Um, but, but it, what's done is done, so, so you know where we are in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this chapter here today. So we'll work our way through it. Um, and, you know, as we, uh, you and I, together, as we sit in this room, as we reflect back on events, as we reflect back on history and of things that have happened in the world, uh, and even as we reflect on the story that we see in the scriptures that we know from the Old Testament into the New, one observation that becomes pretty obvious that we could make, even uh, if we're just pretty amateur as historians and as observers of time and history of events, 
Uh, one thing we could notice about history is that kingdoms are not permanent. Kingdoms are not permanent. Rulers do not rule forever. Seasons come and go. Nations come and go. Uh, in, you know, in fact, um, one of the constant and often repeated refrains uh, in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, especially about uh, kings and rulers, is this simple yet really profound statement that comes up again and again, which is, and then he died. Time and again, we, we, see, we read about a king, uh, whether he was a good king or a bad king, one who obeyed uh, the Lord and followed the law or not, or some combination uh, of, of the two. What happens is he lives his life, he does his thing, and then he died. We see that again and again. In other words, he, he was and his reign was, his rule was not permanent. It, it was a temporary thing, a temporary reality. And as, as we think on that, stew on that a little bit uh, this, uh, this evening, uh, I don't know if that, that reality and that reflection on history uh, is encouraging to you or, or comforting in, in a particular way or whether it's actually disturbing uh, and unsettling in some way. I won't guess at how that, that reflection makes you, makes you feel, the temporariness, the non-permanency. Uh, but what I will say, and, and I do hope that this actually is uh, an encouragement to us and, and a kind of comfort to us tonight, is that in a similar way as we, we can make this observation about kings and kingdoms, the scriptures tell us as we look at the story of the Bible that just as rulers, nations, kings, kingdoms are temporary, come and go, we read the story that the Bible tells us is that the rule and reign of sin is that as well. The rule and reign of sin in this world is also temporary. The power and presence of sin in the world is a temporary, non-permanent reality. Rejection of God, rebellion against the will of God, these are things that will not ultimately stand as we look at the big picture, the, the long arc of history and of what God is doing. As we find it uh, in Peter today, we see that it is because Jesus himself suffered and died in the flesh, firstly, and then secondly, also because there is a day of judgment that is coming because of those two things, disciples of Christ, followers of Jesus, can rest assured and be confident that our battle and our struggles with sin, our conflict with sin directly and indirectly, is not an eternal, everlasting conflict. Our struggles and our battles with sin and its effect does have an expiration date. It will not be an eternal, never-ending conflict. And so, uh, as we reflect on that reality and kind of sink into it a little bit more uh, this evening, and as we find it in the Word of God and, and in First Peter tonight, I think uh, there is comfort in that. that. You know, I think of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, where we, we sing uh, that uh, there is, uh, what is it? Hope for today, 
No, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I lost it for a moment. Thanks. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I think we, one of the reasons we can have those two things, strength and hope, is because we know that this, this place where we are in turmoil and, and suffering the effects of sin and the curse, it's not the way it's always going to be. So we can take strength and have hope in Jesus because of that, that reality. And that's not to say that, that we shouldn't um, rightly and appropriately grieve and acknowledge the suffering that, that is. The reality is that suffering for us here and now, suffering for many of our brothers and sisters around the world, suffering is not a strange thing for disciples of Jesus. It is very common. It is the norm. And we know that, that the, the battles and the conflict that we have in this sinful world often are fierce and relentless and sometimes leave us completely wiped out. They leave us mercifully often on our knees with nowhere, nowhere, nowhere to go but to our Savior. When I think of uh, the non-permanence of sin, the struggle with sin, with uh, faith and, and sin back and forth in our lives, uh, I think actually of Peter himself, because Peter is the one who wrote the letter that we're in tonight, and the reality is, as we look at the, the life and the testimony of Peter in the scriptures, is that he is a guy that we see struggled mightily and went back and forth quite a bit between belief and unbelief, you know, faith and then struggling with doubt and sin in various ways. Peter was a guy, as we reflected, I think in the very first message of this series, when I started us you know, going into First Peter over a year ago, we see that Peter is a guy who has high highs and low lows, and often he does one to the other really quickly. He'll have this moment where he is literally, we see in the Gospels, walking on water, incredible moments, high, high, faith in Christ, and then the next moment he's sinking fast. He's the guy who, who confesses, has this great faith, the Lord gives him this knowledge and insight that Jesus actually is the promised one. He is the Messiah. He confesses that. And Jesus is like, blessed are you, Peter, because the Lord has, a, has, has allowed you to understand this and to see this. And then a moment later, Jesus is saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan, because Peter has developed an agenda in his mind for Jesus that is not in accordance with Jesus' purpose and mission on this world, in, on this earth. So it's this, you know, back and forth with Peter often. Sin and faith, belief, unbelief. Of course, we know of his trials, his denials, and his reinstatements by, by Jesus into a relationship with Jesus and then also his commission into ministry. Despite his sin and his failures, the Lord brings him to himself and says, be, be a pastor, be a shepherd of my people. Feed my sheep. And so I hope, uh, you know, as, as Peter, as we're picking up on this reality from, from this passage here today, that, that sin isn't permanent, I think that would have been news that Peter himself Real, that's news that Peter needed, right? 
Peter needed to know that his sin and his failures weren't the permanent thing. His struggle, his back and forth conflict with belief and unbelief, that that wasn't going to be forever. He needed that good news. And I think, I mean, I need that good news too. I don't know about you. Hopefully, this, this truth, this reality, lifts our souls just a bit, lifts our hearts, encourages us. that There is an end to the conflict that we are in. So, tracking from there, I have two points of reflection on this, on this, along, this, uh, along this line. So, number one idea here that I'm seeing in the passage is that the rule and reign of sin in this world is not forever, as I mentioned just a moment ago, for, for two reasons. And first of all, we know that sin is not forever, it's not permanent, because Jesus himself suffered and died in the flesh. And we know that as we see it in this passage, that one of the reasons that we can say Jesus suffered and died in the flesh, it's multifaceted, it's rich, but one of the reasons Jesus suffered and died was so that sin might increasingly cease in those who are his. For those who have been born again, that they wouldn't live under the power and condemnation of of sin perpetually in their lives but sin might decrease. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4 especially hit this note. Peter writes that because Christ suffered in the flesh, believers in Jesus, Peter says, need to and should arm themselves with the same way of thinking. For, he says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, pull out from that for a moment. As is often the case in Peter, Peter says a lot very quickly, and sometimes you're like, wait, what did you just say? Does anyone have that experience reading, reading Peter, reading these verses? I often do, uh, for one. And so Peter says a lot here, but I think the fundamental point that Peter is making in these first two verses is essentially this. I think Peter is saying that when the reality of Christ and when the, the truth of the gospel of what Jesus did, his suffering, when that, when that moves into our hearts, when that becomes real to us, increasingly so, that gospel gets bigger and sin moves out. The reality of Christ's suffering and why he suffered moves in and that crowds out, pushes out sin in our lives. There's kind of this reciprocal corresponding relationship between those two things. I, I think of it in terms of uh, perhaps a, uh, you know, weeding, right? pulling out a weed. And uh, so often one of the ways you keep weeds at bay, right, is by not just pulling them, but you need to continue to nourish the grass, right? You need to feed, you need the, to fertilize. And so it's the gospel you know, the fertilizer of the gospel, essentially, that keeps those, the, the weeds of sin uh, at bay and from sprouting up. The disciples of Jesus who arm themselves need to arm themselves with that truth. Why Jesus suffered, knowing that he suffered for them, to claim them and to make them his own out of 
love and passion to have a people for his own name and glory. So when that becomes a reality more and more, the thing that we begin to see practically in our lives is that as we see Jesus as the suffering Savior and what he has done, these, these sins, lusts, passions that are not in accordance with the will of God, these things get pushed out, begin to drop off and drop away. As Christ, his passion gets bigger. We get a, we get a passion for the things of Christ over and against the passions of the flesh. I think of how we pray at church here often we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and how in that prayer one of the things we say is, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think of how that can be, for me and sometimes in my experience, it can be a rote type of thing that we just say. And yet the prayer being here that that more and more becomes just a, a driving passion of my life. That, it, that I, I truly have a passion that I can pray, Father, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, make me a part of that story and have a passion for that over and against the things of the world that are against that. Made me think also this week of um, the life and the story of Moses. Not only the, as we find the life of Moses in the book of Exodus, but also uh, especially as we see Moses' life being reflected on by the author of the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the author of, of Hebrews says this about Moses. Verses 24 and 25, it's written, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to, to live into this, this privilege, this opportunity that he was given. And what did he do instead? Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I think that is an example of the gospel moving in. Right, why would Moses do that? It's because God had gripped his heart. God had done something in his mind, in his heart, in his life. And he said, no, it's better to be with the people of God, even if that means suffering, than it is to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a short time. So to me, that leads to, to a reflection and a, and a question for application. Is, is the gospel of Jesus, who is our, our suffering servant and savior, doing that work in my life and in our lives? Is the gospel of Christ, as one who suffered to save us, uh, rooting up those weeds of sin, those non-permanent things, and pushing them out? One, uh, you know, you, all kinds of ways you could probably answer that question. Some maybe encouraging, some discouraging. But I would say one big clue and one hint that the gospel is indeed making inroads into your life the Holy Spirit is alive and at work and well in your life is that you have conviction. And I don't just mean conviction in terms of passion, passion, but conviction about sin when you fail. 
that you, that you have humility to acknowledge when you have gone off the path, and that you do live a life of repentance where you are, are quick to be able to say, that was wrong. I messed up. That was sin, to, to name sin as sin. And we do that before our God and also before one another. If you're doing that, that, that should be an encouragement to you. We're not so much, uh, you know, it would be wonderful. I would love it if uh, we were walking in, if I was walking in perfect obedience as this sign that the gospel was alive and well in my life. But I think until we enter glory, we have to uh, be encouraged by the fact that we can repent and confess and have that be something that lifts our hearts to the Lord again. Seeking to live in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That's the first reflection, number one here. The rule and reign of sin is not permanent, number one, because Jesus himself suffered and died in the flesh. He did that so that sin might increasingly cease and get pushed out in our lives. Secondly, though, number two, uh, reflection from Peter in the passage, we see here that sin, and we, we know that sin is not forever and permanent because there's a judgment. There is a judgment day that is coming, that is on its way. And as we see Peter talking about that day, we know that it's a day from which no sin and no person can, can hide or run. No one can escape it. No sin can escape it. After cataloging this long list of what you and I might describe as, like, sound like, sin, like party sins, all of these sins that might happen just in this context of just revelry, people together, just doing whatever comes natural to them. After this long list, Peter then goes on to speak of how those who used to live lives embracing fully all of these things uh, and yet have moved away from those things and don't anymore, he talks about how they are now being persecuted because they've, they've made that transition, they've made that choice, and they're now living in accordance with the will of God in a new way. And that has brought heat, it has brought pressure from the culture and from perhaps people who used to be their friends. So, <clears throat> what we see here then is that Peter uh, drives this point home, and he says that these people who have become accusers, these people who have become persecutors, they will give an account, he says. They will give an account to the Lord, to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There is no, no, uh, no hiding. Even in death, there is no hiding from God, Peter is saying. <clears throat> This day of judgment, as we find it described here in just a few, uh, a few little verses, but then also in other places in the scriptures, we see is, a, is a, a day in which sin, the rule of sin, the power of sin, all of it will be exposed and condemned completely and fully. And we, we find the, uh, the psalmists often and the, uh, the prophets reflecting on this day and not, not reflecting on it with 
with fear and dread, but actually reflecting on it in a, in a way that it, in moments is actually celebratory. And just one example of this, uh, Psalm 9. And David writes, writes this, he says, The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. So you can see, you can tell that tone, that there's, a, there's an excitement, there's a, there's a desire for this to come. And there's a conviction that this judgment that comes, it will be right, whatever it is. And that there will be worship of God, no matter how, how the verdict comes down. Bottom line here is that when God judges the world, sin loses. Mercy and grace, forgiveness triumph in, in the midst of God's judgment. Verse 6 we kind of look towards just the very end of the passage, is a really interesting one. There's a couple uh, different ways that this has uh, come to be reflected on, uh, different views. And uh, I'll read it again. It says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And some have taken that passage and come to understand it in a sense that they would say that it, there is in some way being described here maybe an opportunity to repent after one has died and that there's you know, a potential that even from someone who is in hell that they could then hear the gospel and then be saved. And based on the, the you know, complete testimony of the scriptures and then digging in a little bit deeper here, I'm convinced that that is, that is not a good reading of this verse and that more likely what is being talked of here is that those who are dead are either, A, those who are spiritually dead, who are receiving the gospel and then coming, coming to life because the spirit is at work within them, or else it's people who heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, and then in Peter's moment died. They have, they have passed away. They're no longer living. And so, either way, how it comes down is that the, the judgment is certain and that there is hope in it for repentance always. But that hope for repentance is before that moment of passing into eternity. And that, that moment of death is a pivotal one where, for, uh, for eternity and for judgment. So, I think we, we, we're, we cannot and should not fix our hope on, on a, a relationship with God being restored or renewed uh, after our death, but we can hope in, in right now and today. And we can continue to pray that the Lord is at work in our loved ones and those who do not yet know Christ. We need to, in, in, as long as it is called today, as long as we have breath in our lungs, Decide who Jesus is. Decide about his love. Decide about his grace and his forgiveness and how we're going to respond to those realities. So we arm ourselves with these things, coming back around full circle. Peter is saying we need to arm ourselves with the knowledge that Jesus suffered in the flesh so that sin might cease so that we might become his people. We arm ourselves with the reality that a judgment is coming, 
And yet, in, even in the face of judgment, we know that there is righteousness that will prevail, that, that there is hope for everyone who turns and believes and repents in, in Christ. I hope ultimately, even though this, uh, this feels to me like it's, you know, it's, a heavy, it's a heavy message, heavy passage, kind of a lot of pieces moving on, uh, going, you know, circling on here. Uh, but I, my, my ultimate hope is that this is a passage that enables us to take heart, that we are encouraged because of what we see Peter saying here, because to go back to the beginning, our sin and our, our struggle with sin there's a day where we're going to be relieved from those things. The, the, the curse and all of its effects, all of the, the illness and sickness and disease, all of the things that we deal with on a daily basis, the ways that our own hearts go astray, even when we don't want them to. We want to follow the Lord. We want to, to worship him and obey him, and yet we find ourselves again and again off the mark. Take heart. Your, your struggle will not be eternal. You will see him face to face, and you will be so enraptured by him, infatuated with him in his presence, that nothing else will be desirable. God is at work. He's good. He is a righteous judge. So we praise him for these things. I think I'll end with this. I think this passage actually has a, kind of a, a sister uh, kind of parallel passage, not actually from, from Peter, but from Paul, actually, in Romans 6. I think there's a, there's a connection here. Romans 6, in verse 11 especially, Paul writes, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Arm ourselves with the reality of Christ's death, our death united with him and this new life that we have, that we may walk in obedience, and in love with Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, thank you for your grace and kindness to us. Lord, thank you that you uh, have given us a way to know you, Lord, that you, you give us every day an opportunity to believe again, to repent again, to walk in newness of life because of what you have done. God, strengthen our hearts by your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.